Hello and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Maroos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. To wow customers across the entire financial journey, you must know them, understand them, and be able to proactively anticipate and deliver solutions. This requires taking an event-driven approach to offer contextual engagement and experiences. Today, banks and credit unions are ditching siloed departmental frameworks and instead are connected people, processes, and technology across the entire organization with a collaborative approach that puts insights into action for the customer's benefit. I'm excited to have Daryl Knopp, Senior Director of Portfolio Marketing at FICO, on the Banking Transform podcast. Daryl discusses the current state of personalization in banking and how organizations can use applied intelligence systems to improve experiences, engagement, and loyalty. Connecting with customers on a personalized level is no longer a luxury. It's a necessity. Customers understand what is possible with data, analytics, and modern technology. The challenge is delivering the experiences that customers expect. As FICO mentions in their new ebook entitled Accelerating Customer Decisions with Applied Intelligence, having an enterprise-wide view of your customer provides a lay of the land for financial institutions. Applied intelligence, though, helps to show you where to go in that vast landscape. So, Daryl, let's start at the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about what FICO is actually doing in the area of applied intelligence, but also about your role at FICO. Uh, sure. Um, I'll do the, the latter first and the former last. Uh, so Daryl Kanop, um, I run portfolio marketing at FICO and, and you can call it product marketing, portfolio marketing, but effectively my team is responsible for kind of content generation, the words that you would read on our site, um, materials that, you know, that we would utilize for sales purposes, sales training internally. So basically making sure that our salespeople know how to sell our product and how to talk about our product and that our customers understand what it is that we actually do. My role at FICO is not that. I have a team of experts in, in marketing um, and you know I, I get to look very good uh, on their coattails. Um, my job, my background, I've spent 25X, 20, maybe more than that, doing risk management for banks um, all over the place. Um, and so I'm really bringing voice of the customer in, into the conversation. Um, so that's really my job. And, and in this particular case, I also get to be the talking head or the face, um, the, the, the gray-haired, wizened uh, old banker. Um, and at, at FICO, so where FICO comes into this is, is, you know, we've got a long history in data and analytics, and we're quite proud of that. We've been around since 1956, and most people know FICO for the FICO score, the FICO family of scores. Um, but we also have been in the software business and in the, in the, uh, in the AI business for a long time, and, and specifically really in... If you look at um, our Falcon tools, so we have a fraud set of tools. We've got a long history in application fraud and in and in account management or credit card fraud, as well as we've got a long history in account management. So we have a couple of kind of legacy products there that are still being used today. And I don't mean to use the word legacy in a negative way, um, but really now we're removing, and this is the long introduction that should be a little bit shorter, into platform. Really, we're taking all that great IP that we've got in analytics and in scoring and in the application fraud and in application processing and in account management and in fraud management. We're taking all that and saying, okay, well, the industry is really moving away from having single applications to do all these challenging things. 
um, because it requires a lot of management. If if we look when we looked across these tools, there's a common set of things. You take data, you generate insights from that data, you take action on that data, and then we observe the outcomes, and then you kind of loop through and you learn from it. Well, the reality is is that whether I'm talking about marketing at the very beginning pre-approvals, what have you, or if I go through the life cycle of originations, nurture and manage, I'm now taking, getting into collections, getting into um, recovery. All of those things have some very common ways in which we make decisions and apply analytics to. And so really what FICO platform is, it's this kind of modern architecture of capabilities that are used to do all those types of, you know, I'll usually call them use cases, but all these types of actions and decisions that you make with data on customers. You know, you know, it's interesting. I started in banking before you did. I started more than 40 years ago. And we talked about personalization back then. But but obviously, a lot has changed between the data that's available and the technology that's available to process and deploy this data. So what major trends are you seeing right now that are affecting banks in the financial services landscape? And how are the bank and customers' expectations changing? And what has changed the most in the last couple of years? The, you know, I'm talking about a few things and I think we, you know, we, we, we're really see, we've, we've seen or we've pivoted. Oh, and I guess, you know, COVID was an accelerator here, but we were really on this trajectory where the digital bank was becoming the center of financial services. And if it wasn't that before COVID, it is now. So when I, when I think about, um, the primary banking channel, it's the, it's the digital bank and it's the digital bank probably for some massive percent of people. Um, in fact, you know, even the, um, the, the older generation that might have engaged with branches, because that's how we grew up, um, engaging with branches. I think even they've become very comfortable in doing the bulk of their transactions via, um, the digital channel. And so that trend means a lot of things. It, it, it means we've accelerated the, or grown the number of people using it, uh, which means that ch- that channel has to be much better. And, regardless of the generation that you might be in, um, we're all using a bunch of the tools on our phones. Um, the phone technology has gotten fabulous. It's, it's become a platform in and of itself to deliver these experiences. Well, now we're getting compared to, you know, maybe 10 years ago we weren't, but now we're getting compared to the experiences you're having on Amazon, you're having on Apple, you're having in, in uh, whichever um, you know, kind of apps that you use. That's the comparator and those experiences are quite good. I'm a heavy user of Amazon. We use Whole Foods, and so we order through Amazon. All of it comes, you know, if 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 I have to delay this call today a little bit, it's probably because I'm getting a package and my, my dogs will go crazy. And so that's the biggest thing. I think the people, you know, we used to compare in the industry, you'd compare yourself if I was working for Canada Trust, when I, and that was the first bank I kind of worked with in Canada. Um, if I can, if we were comparing ourselves to competitive analysis, we'd go out to TD Bank, we'd go out to Bank of Montreal, CIBC, World Bank, etc., and we'd see how we'd compare. Well, you know, that's not good enough anymore. In fact, you've really got to think about who to compare yourselves to. So, really, those customer experiences, the market's changing, who we're comparing ourselves to, um, and what that means is that you know we know that you know. Amazon, and they're pretty good at it. Although the one example I will use on personalization that's not perfect. If I buy a pair of, if I buy six pairs of golf socks, you don't need to show me ads for golf socks for the next month. 
right? Just because I had that behavior, I probably don't need six more pairs of golf socks. But the point is, is that they're really digging into kind of the purchases that I'm making, trying to understand what I'm interested in. We need to be doing the same in banking. And so that's a real trend that we're seeing. Banks are getting there. You know, I think that what we did during COVID was quite interesting, which was really, we started to really focus in on, well, how do I, I'm not, I'm missing that greeting that I get in the branch. And so little things like, good morning, um, good morning, Daryl, and being excited by it, putting an exclamation mark on it. Um, that's the easiest form of personalization. And that's not hyper-personalization that we talk about, but we're really started, we've really embedded this concept of who, who my competitors are and, and kind of how to think about how I personalize those experiences. So those are kind of the two big things that I would talk about. And and that's huge. And as you mentioned, it's, it's really something that's even amplified more because of COVID, because we got sheltered in and we started realizing that Geez, when I watch a show on Netflix, Netflix then says, since you watch this, you may want that. I, I, I tell the story in podcast quite often that, you know, last year when I was down in Florida, I got into watching shows about lagoons and pools, people building pools and lagoons. And all of a sudden, all I'm getting are, are different types of shows right. about building a pool. And I had no interest in building a pool. It's just interesting to me. But what's interesting because people noticed that my activities were spurring on other recommendations that made my journey easier. So we know already that the financial institutions have done a really pretty decent job in the risk and fraud areas at personalizing the ability to look at personalized risk scores and personalized um, fraud scores and be able to really look and say they can understand each under individual from a negative perspective. Why are we falling so short of customer expectations for in the positive way, and as you mentioned, the hyper-personalization way with regard to services and products and recommendations? You know, I, I, I think it's likely because we had branches and we had people with smiles on their faces that could greet people and do these positive things. And so I think, you know, um, with a deep background in risk management as the probably the only actuary running a marketing department that I'm aware of, um, we we historically the risk management pieces of this were things that we did behind the scenes the things we did in the back rooms um either underwriting teams or in an automated ways um using tools like i mentioned already around falcon um you know we're talking about you know billions of transactions a day that flow through that you have to react to and you're trying to protect i think that the 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 real investment being made now and today we're still doing those investments fraud hasn't gone away uh, new credit and, and risk hasn't gone away but we're really taking the way in which we've done those things the learnings that we've got from those things and bringing to the to bear on kind of this next best experience this next best product next best offer i'm engaging with the customer um, in a positive way and there's a lot of reasons for that i think some of it is that you know we've got we all, you know, if we take all the data that's available in the world right now, um, something like 90% of it was made in the last two years. And there's all kinds of metrics around that. But the data is piling up. And and we're getting much better at bringing that data to bear, meaning I can, I can get access to it now. Um, when I started in banking, it was all about account risk, account level risk. And now when we're really talking about customers, we're talking about customer level. We're talking about understanding the customer at that level. And 
we talked about lifetime value, right? We talked about life, we've talked about lifetime value forever, but we've never done a good job of really understanding it. Well, now that we have this data, now that we've been storing this data for a long time on customers, we can actually get to, to that and understand it. And so for, you know, and for Daryl's case, you know, if I was applying for a mortgage and making, giving me mortgage offers or, hey, better yet, the leading, since you've already got a mortgage application with you leading is, well, what might I need next? Right, because really, when we talk about personalization and we we talk about it from a banker perspective, I don't do things unless I'm going to either I'm going to deepen a relationship, I'm going to create more loyalty, or I'm going to make more money, and those things have to all come together for the business model to work. It's not greed; it's more about making sure the business model works. Well, when we think about financial wellness, well, that's a big thing, right? We think about financial education, we think about deepening the relationship, we think about making more money. All these things have to have data, you got to drive insights from them. And I think the, 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 the big trigger for the big trigger from an industry perspective and how we got here is, is we have all that data. We're now getting modern platforms where I can do these things at scale, you know, and the, you know, the other thing that you know, the techies want to hear as well is you got to do it at low latency because you got to be able to react very, very quickly to do some of these real time things that need to get done. So on that point of the platforms, you know, one of the biggest challenges right now are financial institutions of all sizes are challenged by how do I get my my arms around this? But many financial institutions now are realizing the power of the collaboration with third-party providers such as FICO. Now, how does FICO help financial institutions close this expectations gap? How, how does your platform remove friction and increase speed of decisioning? That said, we could spend days on that one, but I'll, I'll try to hit, I'll try to hit a couple of high points. I mean, really, um, FICO platform is it, it, you know, and platforms in general. Plat a platform for decisioning in general has to do a number of things. It has to be able to bring data to, into it in a that are across various services, and so some of those are going to be external bureaus. Um, other third-party data providers. Um, you might need to bring in a tool that does ID verification, all kinds of things. You have to, so you have to be able to bring in the data and services and you have to be able to manipulate them in ways that allow you to save time, build things up. If I want to know the average balance in Daryl's account over the last seven days, I don't have to wait for the real-time time I'm going to use that data in a rule set, I should be have that calculating behind the scenes so that whenever I need it, I need it. And so really having kind of pulling in your data and all of the processes. Platform then, you need to be able to generate insights, although you can arguably do that offline, but there's some real-time, you know, build them offline and then they get deployed for real-time or right-time. And then you need to have that ability to, and again, I think, you know, you build it and then you're operationalizing it. So whether they're decision services or whether they're models that run in real time, um, you need to be able to do that. And then when you get into it, it's like, well, what kind of actions am I going to take from it? And then how do I track? How do I manage? How do I simulate those so that I can actually understand the impact? Um, and then how do I test, A-B test, champion challenger is a term that we use at FICO. Um, and then how do I validate and govern all of these processes? And so you really, from a platform perspective, the beauty of a platform well-constructed, and I do think FICO's platform is very well-constructed, um, is, is that you have to have all these capabilities in one place. And I think if, if I was to give one sales pitch on our platform is, is that the best thing that we do is operationalize. We, we have all these great yeah. tools and yeah. capabilities and data and, and, and grabbing data, generating insights from it. That's our legacy. We've got a great set of tools for that. Um, but fundamentally, I think our key differentiator is really operationalization and then this great learning loop that you get. Um, sometimes you can do that learning loop offline and, 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 and on some platforms you do. But really, to me, 
a platform is, is really it's all about getting all those people in the same place. That's where you're generating collaboration. So I've got my data science people working in the same architecture that I've got my risk management people working, that I've got my product people because they're caring about what's coming through the door. And then I've got my, you know, my, the, the risk people and the product people tracking it at the back end. Are they getting the results that they'd expect? Um, and I've got that across all different products. Because um, now I have to think at the customer level, because that's really when you think of the digital channel, that's the other thing that the digital channel is really forced. It's that you, it's very difficult in the digital channel to think only about a product. And so collaboration across product, you know, you know, kind of at that consumer bank level at the customer level is a big thing. You know, it's interesting. One of the biggest hurdles, I think, with a lot of these third-party collaborations is getting a new partner bought into a financial institution. You know, we're all overwhelmed with what goes on to the next day. But a benefit, I think, that FICO has, I'm just talking from a layman's perspective, is that you already have relationships with a, a great percentage of financial institutions. So bringing in a new platform to do something different than just the fraud and risk area really has got to be simplified a little bit, makes it so the implementation can be a little bit easier. The relationships are already there. The trust is already there, which is really a, a big deal when you're working with, with third-party providers to provide a solution for your customer base. I would imagine that really helps you work with your existing clients to bring in new new ideas and new solutions, correct? Yep. Maybe I think we're we're victims of our own success. I think I think the bulk of people know FICO for FICO Score, and that and it is a great set of products um, for those that watch the FHFA or listen to the FHA announcements. There's you know FICO Score 10T. Um, it's a great opportunity. It's a fantastic score. We've got other scores in there, and I can talk. And I'm wearing an ultra FICO uh, hoodie right now, and so. People, I think you're quite right. People have a trust, they have an understanding, and certainly folks that are using Falcon or Triad, which are kind of our two big legacy software products that are industry leading, that are market leading products internationally, not just in FICA and not just with the here in the US. I think it does bring a level of trust. And so I, I do think it's there. I think the challenge that I have, and I spend most of my day focused on software, if not all of the day focused on software, the challenge we have to is then is educate people on kind of what we're doing and why it's important. Um, and these platform moves are challenging. They're big uh, because you're taking on something like uh, account management. And if we wanted to talk Falcon, for example, you're taking on something that's that's heavily embedded, often at a processor. So you're really kind of having to look at kind of all these, these challenges. Um, and they because it is a much broader tool than something that single built for purpose like account management software like fraud software um they they impact a lot of other things so i think where where we see wins to jump kind of ahead a little where we see wins from a fica platform so i'm assuming we have the trust they understand our brand so when we get in there where we have wins it's really when people start to understand that i'm not just going to solve my originations challenge I'm going to have the opportunity to solve my origination challenge. And then next year, when my customer management tool comes up for renewal, I'm going to put my customer management activities on there, my collections yeah. on there. Yep. My, right. That's where you start to get, you, you start to really get it. And I think the, the shops that we talk to, we call, you know, the enterprises that where we have multiple implementations um, or multiple use cases on our platform, IT loves us because they, we've just made their job easier instead of managing. 25 uh, uh, um, different applications, they're they're lowering the number down. All the, the 
third-party data that you have to go out and get. Well, you can control that through FICO platform. And so you're really using fewer tools. And we've almost created this role that's between business and technology, like this te business technologist. Now, when I go to make changes to strategy, change, implement new scorecards and other things, I don't have to IT doesn't need to be involved. IT is managing the overall um, infrastructure and ensuring that we're working together. Um, but, you know, that to me is kind of the, you know, what I would say is a massive opportunity for a massive way in which we leverage that brand um, and, and get into kind of having success with the FICO platform. You, you know, it's interesting because all these things you're discussing provide amazing insights for people internal to the financial institution. What we see a lot of times is the the challenge from moving from great insights to great deployment, the actually doing things with what you have. One of the key areas is looking at, you know, looking at personalization, looking at how you can personalize my experience. You mentioned a little bit about saying the hey Daryl or morning Daryl, as opposed to more hyper personalization. What's the difference between what you'll say is personalization, hyper personalization, and why does it matter? So, you know, the one I mentioned too, and I'll, I'll throw a plug out to them because I, I I think they've got one of the best onboarding experiences. Lemonade and Lemonade is a is a yep is a app or is a company that actually does um, online um, insurance, home insurance yep. and, and pet insurance and other things. Um, and, and it's, it's a very simple process, but it really is. It's this, and that's not so much, I mean, it's personalization. I wouldn't call it hyper-personalization. I think that why, you know, hyper-personalization is actually, you know, like, like I kind of previous, previously mentioned a little bit is really kind of, figuring out where Daryl is. It's marketing to the one. What's the next thing that Daryl needs based upon what I know about Daryl? And in my case, you know, I, I bank with Chase as my primary bank. Not It's not a plug for Chase, although I, I do think they have one of the best apps out there. Um, but it's, it's given that I have um, all of this rich data, it's deploying that to understand and, and offer me different things, understand experiences. If, if, if I'm I'm running up my credit card, my two credit cards to chase up. Do they offer me a loan or do they um, reach out to me that my score is going down or going up and rewarding me for such things? And so the importance of hyper-personalization really for banks is really to enhance the trust, make the experiences easier. If I'm applying for a second product, don't ask me for my name and address. Maybe ask me to confirm them, but asking me for something you already know kind of lowers my um my my like makes me feel like you don't know me Lowers right the trust because Lowers you, the you trust think and, because you go geez if if you don't know who i am right now yeah exactly and i mean that's the risk management person in me too it's like well why are you asking me that like you already know that and it, little things like that will drive drive the average person crazy you don't see that in other places i think you know i think on that one point hey if you want to say hey we're going to send a card to you just hey confirm again that this is your mailing address i think things like that are fine i think more importantly, you know, and one of the things, you know, I'm, I'm leaned up against this is this idea of having this customer experience um, really enhancing. You know, banks are heavily focused on trust is a big theme, has been for a long time. But I think banks are now getting into measuring trust and understanding trust a bit more, um, doing much more than just, a, you know, an NPS or a, like a how you feel about me score. They're actually doing much yep. more leaning in on it. And, and so looking at ways in which I can give trust. And one of the ways is that the process doesn't have to be the shortest process for, for a particular opportunity or sale. It needs to be the most intuitive and it, and it needs to be the most comfortable. 
And so sometimes, and this is, again, I'll use the lemonade pet insurance example that I've used in the past when I've talked about this. It's that they did chat to ask me questions and they asked my dog's name and the dog's name, they asked my dog's breed. And it's just like, you know, Harper's a good boy. And like this little process that, yeah, it probably took longer than it would have took if they just presented me with a form and I'd have banged away because they really only need the dog's age any medical issues, the type of breed, and then they can estimate kind of, you know, the, the cost associated with it. Because as an actuary, I can appreciate that. The reality is they, they had this process that took a little bit longer, that but was more tongue-in-cheek and more interesting and more engaging. Yep. And that's, that's not a hyper-personalization. That's just building a process that people kind of enjoy going through. And then what hyper-personalization would be doing, doing that for millions of people, um, asking the right questions of them on the products that they want at the right time. And it, again, it's, I said products, but it's really making sure that Daryl's having the right experience. Um, and cause it might be, Hey Daryl, you made two transactions at the same place within an hour for the same price. Did you do both of these? That's a, that's a transaction fraud or potentially a, just a double charging. Somebody's made an error. Well, highlighting that. That builds trust. And by the way, that saves money if it's actually an error or a potential issue from a, from a merchant perspective. So all kinds of fun things that can be done in the space. It's so important. And the things that are called hyper-personalization um, or personalization or hyper-personalization at scale, however we want to kind of say this as an industry, um, we already do some of these really well. If you use the fraud example, the credit card fraud right. example, that's one done really well. It's, it's a narrow application, but it's incredibly personalized um, and has to be done at speed um, to literally billions of transactions a day. And so I think that that's a fascinating one. Well, it's interesting too, because in the ebook that FICO did, it, we talk about not only personalization, hyper-personalization, but moving from experience to engagement, which you've already discussed yeah. it with Lemonade, where you, where you have some interaction back and forth. And it makes it so that it's more comfortable. It is it, it builds loyalty. And more importantly, I think, it makes it so there's more reasons to have discussions, you know, as you said, we're we're all comparing it to that one-to-one personal experience we had in the branch where we went in maybe every week on the same day, same time, everything like this. Well, we need to keep that because in the digital world, it can be let go of too quickly. And there's a whole lot of firms out there willing to take our place. So you also talk in your ebook about think big, start small, act quickly. Can you explain a little bit about the benefit of those elements with regard to implementing, let's say, an intelligence platform? So let's talk about think big. What I mean by really think big is have a plan, right? Have a have a customer level, um, bank level strategy for personalization. That's the think big. Like put your plan together. What would you do if you weren't restricted? Now set us, you know, it, it, where and where do you want to get to? Yeah, there's going to be costs and systems and all kinds of things that you might have to do to get there. But put that plan together and think big. Think where you need to get to. What are your competitors doing? What are you, what are your what are the people outside of your competitors? But you know, generating the expectations around experiences. That's the think big. Build that strategy. Um, um, act small is okay. Well, given all the restrictions I have, I don't have this great platform today. But maybe I've got some legacy software that I can I can I can modify experiences. And I can do the little things that aren't quite hyper-personalization, but make sure you got all the personalization stuff right. Like if if Daryl's going into the app and it's morning, say, you know, good morning, Daryl, um, put a little excitement around it, put an exclamation mark on it. Like 
engage with me a little bit. You're replacing, in some cases, a branch process where somebody was greeting me, somebody knew me, somebody knew, you know, know knows my dog's names, or if you have kids, it knows your kids' names. You're really replacing some of that. So you gotta you gotta find a way to engage with that. You also have to figure out if people want that. Some people might not want that. So it's like, okay, well, they don't. They want to get right to something. Try to find out who those folks are that want to work quickly versus have a, an engagement. I think you probably start with the, the longer process or the more engaging process. Um, act quickly then is to have an ability um, to make these changes. And so as you start to figure out what your big picture is and you start to make some of these minor changes to actually have things get a bit more personalized given your current constraints, then start to figure out kind of, you know, how do I get a platform and how do I get the tool set in here so that I can actually achieve all of these things on this scale um, in there. And then that's where platforms really shine because, you know, yeah, platforms exactly. to me should, yeah, should provide you three things, right? Um, they should be able to go fast. So, they can scale. If I've got a, a billion transactions coming through or all kinds of data, I got to process models I got to run. They need to be able to do those things quickly. Then they need to be agile, which means I can make changes and apply those changes very quickly. And then they need to be resilient. To me, resiliency is created through learning, right? So I can make these changes. I can simulate, have expectations. Did I get them? Nope. And then learn. And then, you know, kind of that to me is kind of where I would kind of say personalization and platform where the real challenges are and where the real uh, opportunities are. So when we look at the platform and the data and the insights and the processing, the speed, all the things you're, you're talking about, how important is it today for financial institutions to democratize the data insights that are created across the entire organization? You know, in the past, in our both of our banking's legacies, it used to be that the data area held the data, the fraud area held all the data with fraud, and marketing held their marketing data. How important is it now for the insights that are generated from a platform such as FICO's to actually be democratized so that every person in the organization that can have any possibility of being in contact with a customer has access to these tools? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think, I love the term democratization, by the way. We probably don't use it enough, but it actually is a good way to think about the data, certainly for um, an enterprise. And so, you know, I, I mentioned previously, you know, kind of, you know, the legacy way of the banks are organized are kind of by product. And, and so I was, you know, I was head of product risk for a credit card. I really just focused on credit card. And often those systems didn't talk. I didn't know what was in their savings account. I didn't know that they had a mortgage. I didn't know they had a car loan with us. Um, I had to focus in on kind of this one tool, set, this one set of data. And if I wanted even to get access to that other data, it was either difficult or they wouldn't give me access to it. Um, really where we've moved and we'll, you'll hear terms like 360 degrees view of the customer. That's one that I like, although that one's it's probably overdone a little bit right now. Um, but really, with modern data warehouses, data lakes, choose your term for it, um, bringing all that information to bear actually makes us much smarter. Um, we're not flogging customers for four different products at the same time because we've got four different areas that have, you know, different metrics that they have to do. You have to fundamentally figure out kind of what this client needs and take them on that needs journey. You can't do that if the data, if you can't get access to the data or you, or yeah, you can get access to it, but it's not in the, in the, in a timely way. And so, you know, a modern platform and certainly our platform really allows you to kind of get at the data in the place that it's at, bring it in, get it into a format or get into a style for it, build profiles, build rules um, that can be deployed. And then, 
you know, one of the other benefits of kind of being able to do that across the various parts of the institution, if you just focus on the consumer bank, for example, is, is I now can create, when I create an analytic such as a simple analytic, a capacity to pay, well, then everyone involved, whether it be credit card, loans, uh, mortgages, uses the same calculation. There's this reusability, right? And then you've got this low-code, no-code environment where you can compose, the business technology can compose, drag and drop quite often, what that decision flow should be, what the rules should be, and where that model should be applied. And so now you're getting these great ease of which you're implementing things. Um, and all of the people are working in that same place. So collaboration gets a lot easier. If I got data scientists in there, I got the technologist in there. I've got the governance people in there, the model, the people that look at, you know, how the models are performing, um, who has the ability to see things. You still have to have kind of, you know, some amount of ability to, does that group need access to that data? The fraud groups are very, very sensitive around kind of what those models would look like, who gets to see those. Credit risk are the same, especially if, if some of the, of the data is that you're using for scoring is from outside. Um, because they're, you know, if there is an ability to, um, to manipulate data, for example, in the old days, we would have this challenge of something, we would have something like, how long have you worked at your current uh, business, uh, your current job? Well, we didn't necessarily verify that, but we would ask the question, well, if people know that question's there, you know, they can figure out that maybe I should say 10 years and not one year. Um, most modern models don't have data that can be manipulated that way, but you have to kind of think about some of these things and kind of who can see what, um, is it appropriate? But as long as people have access to the right information, um, really building this 360-degree view of the customer and then figuring out kind of what journey we do. Does this person want to go on, do, needs to go on? Where are they at in their financial life? Um, you know, do they, you know, the, a lot of major life events you have to think through from a banking perspective, home purchase, um, savings for university for kids, things like that. Um, where are they? Have they got retirement savings? And really kind of understanding it so that you truly have a good picture of your customer. Where I think the industry would love to get to is, is that we had AI, uh, a personal financial manager that was AI. The industry would love to kind of get to that stage where I know everything about this customer. These are the things that this is the journey that they likely want to go on. And I can provide them with advice in an automated way, in an intelligent way, as well as still giving them access to experts, individuals, whether that be through video, through branch or through other channels. So I think we're getting we're getting closer. We're not there yet. We're getting closer. So when we're looking at this whole personalization and, and trying to make it so that more employees have more access to the customer data, but more importantly, that customers know you have access and are using this data, how important is transaction data today to build near real-time engagement? Um, great question. I think, you know, look at it from a couple of sides. So transaction data, we've used transaction data for quite a while in credit card fraud. And so right. I won't spend a lot of time on that one. That would make sense if I, you know, I build Daryl's behavior. Daryl's behavior is Amazon and uh, the golf course and um, restaurants. I live in Napa, so it's all restaurants, wine, golf courses and stuff. Um, and then all of a sudden I make a purchase that's outside of that behavior, then that's a higher risk transaction you can actually run. I think where we've really seen um, transaction data come to bear um, is then as to supplement kind of credit risk understanding. And there's really... The big difference between between where we were, let's say, three decades ago, two decades ago, 
um, was when we started to really move towards just using credit bureaus to do credit analysis, because we got away from all of these difficult things. It was difficult to kind of get access to transaction data, transactions in my daily checking account, for example, if I was in the credit card group, challenging from an IT perspective, challenging from a modeling perspective, all kinds of issues there. And then if Daryl's transaction account was actually not at Chase, it was actually at Bank of America, well, I couldn't get access to that data. I could get statements, maybe I could look at it too. We really, as an industry, certainly from a risk perspective, got away from cash flow analysis. But if you think of the five C's or the four C's, depending on which kind of credit school that you were behind, you would look at things like that when you were doing a, a manual review and you would and you would make sure that you understand where like where the, it, the ins and outs of cash flow was. Well, transaction data now being able to either link it and in the US, Plaid, Finicity, Yodelay, for example, um, bringing in that transaction and really understanding it. Or in the case of they, that account is with you, you can bring that data in from the other side because now you've got your data structured in such a way and your analytics done that I can bring in that data and information operationally incredibly valuable. So I mentioned earlier, I can verify income because I can observe it. It's literally going in there. Now that's net income. Well, I can gross that up. It's pretty easy to figure that stuff out. I can verify rent. Um, I can do a better job of understanding kind of where you're spending your money. Um, and then from a fraud perspective, um, I can also look at the behavior. Does that look like a real person? And you, if they're new to bank, that's a big challenge, a big opportunity to improve it. Just asking for the bank account to be linked is a great fraud preventer tool, by the way. Um, and that one, that one's changed dramatically. You know, 10 years ago, there was a lot of friction associated with that. I think with the growth in the fintech industry, um, people growing up uh, kind of doing some of this and just banks having a bit more trust in regards to how they're using that data. And then the third one on that spectrum is improved credit risk. And it's significant. Um, Ultra FICO, which is the, the quarter zip I'm wearing today, it's a it's it's a group, it's data, it's the traditional FICO score supplemented with transaction data and profile data that, that the customer has. And really what, what it does is it's it, it and I'll take I'll put my actuarial hat back on. It, really what it helps us understand is it can help us lower the volatility of the current estimate. I've now got more data points. I'm bringing more data into it. It also allows us to score more people. So if you're if you're a traditional bank in the U.S., you're using a FICO score somewhere, um, you can actually get more people scored. So it's more inclusive. Um, for thin clients, and then again, I'm talking about transacting for thin clients on a bureau, three trades or less, well, if I can supplement with more data, I'm going to get a better estimate. Now, that's the, now that's the ultra FICO pitch. But the reality is, is it works the same way. If I can bring in this other transaction data, even if I'm not using Ultra FICO score, I can improve credit risk. I can enhance credit risk assessment. I can understand affordability better. Um, I can impact fraud and I can do a better job of operationalizing and verification of income and, and capacity to pay um, and, and rent. And rent is a real challenge in the U.S. if you're trying to do online lending uh, because it's it's very difficult to verify. Um, and if you are on some of those databases, it's actually quite expensive to bring in. When I can just poop, I can go ahead and immediately just, oh, there it is. It's on the first or the, it's on the last day of every month or on the first day of every month. Right. It's actually really easy to spot in the transaction. So there's all this great power that comes from it. Um, it it's worthwhile to put a plug in for open banking. Now, open banking isn't a thing in the US. It's becoming a thing in Canada. Um, and it's a thing in a, in, a, in Europe, in the UK, yep. in Australia. Um, and so there's 
Now, that's a regulation, but it's really then because it's being regulated, they might as well be taking use of it. I don't think most countries right now, I think they're, I think the institutions are meeting the requirements, but aren't taking the opportunities that this data really presents. The U.S. in, in this regard is actually well advanced because we've really had bank aggregation for got to be 15 years. I know I've been using it for the last decade. And so because it wasn't regulated, not everyone was super comfortable with it. We've really gotten as an industry, pretty comfortable with it. I think that, you know, whether or not we see regulation or not, I have all kinds of thoughts on whether it'd be a good or a bad thing, whether it would stifle innovation or not. But I do think that the uses of that data, using it for good, using it for fraud prevention, better assessment, better analysis, um, and it does a great job of helping us truly understand um, and now get deeper into personalization. I think it'd be a shame not to have, to use that data in, in better understanding the customer for opportunities, um, not just lowering credit risk, not just lowering opportunities for fraud, but actually um, helping them understand potentially, you know, savings rates. Like, tiny little example, and then I'll, I'll pause there. But I, in my, again, I mentioned I bank with Chase. They will show me things like um, average spend on groceries. And they're asking me that question. Why are they asking me that question? Because in my account, they're observing that I'm spending more than the average person. And so they're highlighting a little lesson for Daryl that maybe you should look at your spend in groceries because the average household's only spending this. Um, those are little learnings. They're not selling me anything. They're, they're giving me a little advice from a financial wellness perspective that I should think about. So with power comes challenges sometimes. What's the biggest challenge you're seeing in the financial services industry right now moving beyond the way they've used FICO in the past, the way they can use FICO going forward. So we, with great power comes great responsibility. I love the, the Spider-Man line. Um, I mean, the, the challenge is, is the industry, we're not there as an industry a, on platform deployment. We're still not really there on cloud deployment. There's still a lot of challenges. Privacy and data security is paramount. Um, the industry is doing an okay job there, I, I think. Um, you know, I think there's lots of room for improvement, um, certainly um, here in the U.S. Um, and other places. But here in the U.S. is where, you know, often where I end up being quite focused. I think, you know, the opportunity for institutions is to continue to leverage the power of their brand, continue to focus in on trust. Um, when we think about hyper-personalization, we think about platforms, um, we've really, we've, we've made a lot of significant investments as an industry. I think that from a platform perspective, some of the challenges are, and this is kind of a growth of where platforms are, some of the challenges are, it's actually, these are very large initiatives and they're very expensive initiatives. It's not just us and we, you know, we certainly work with, with all the groups that we can to make sure that the pricing is right, um, that we've got the right people in deployments and other things like that. But these are big, big initiatives and I think that in some cases, it makes it difficult for the medium or the smaller size institutions to really to dig in. Um, and so I think that as an issue, that's one of the areas I'd like to see is focus. We're very, we're hyper focused on getting our cogs down, of course. Um, and that means that we can get our prices in, in, in and open up uh, more so who we get to. You know, we'd like to see, we at FICO, and I think many in the industry like to see this, we want to get to a point where we've actually got a marketplace where you could literally go out kind of sign up, so to speak, yep. 
start to map your data into the process, map your tools. And there'd be some PS potentially necessary there, but actually that you could actually go out into the marketplace, choose the things that you wanted to do and just begin to do them. And then if you want to do another use case, just tick the box for the capability that you don't already have deployed and start to deploy it. Um, there's a lot of institutions trying to get there. Now, you know, what FICO does on FICO platform and, and, our, and our competitors, very complex. And so it's not like it's, you know, it's not like the you know, the the marketplace that your your app iPhone your iPhone has in their apps, but we'd like to see it get to a point where third parties can literally build solutions on FICO platform that could be you know they could potentially you know sell on there. So just like selling an app on on iPhone, but you know we're a ways from that. That is yep. on our trajectory. Yep. Um, it makes sense for us because it will. If we can get it to that place, it really opens up some of those um, smaller institutions to opportunities to actually deploy platform. Great benefits for them in the sense that we get that to the right place. Um, costs for them can come down um, because it's the same challenges that they have. They have the same use cases. Um, their numbers, meaning the number of customers that they have, are just smaller. Right. So it, there's a little, you know, and that, there's a little democratization to that. Like if we can literally get it to that place, then a lot of folks, um, you know, we can be a lot, we at FICO and, and others can be a lot more successful in getting our products used and in the right places. And so the customers across, whether you deal with a small credit union or whether you deal with the likes of Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, et cetera, that all uh, institutions can get access to some of these great tools and capabilities. Daryl, thank you so much for being on the show today. You know, it's interesting because as I wrap up, I, I I think about, you know, what institutions should do next. And it, it gets back to the three terms that the uh, FICO ebooks had, which is think big, start small, and act quickly. Um, I don't think better words have ever been spoken on a lot of different fronts, but certainly when it comes to platforming your, your data, your insights, and your ability to personalize solutions. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's interview, please give our show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hasledge, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, customers expect you to know what they need before they know it themselves. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.